Welcome to Reinventing Solidarity, a podcast of the journal New Labor Forum and the School of Labor and Urban Studies at the City University of New York. My name is Paula Finn, podcast host and editor of New Labor Forum. Reinventing Solidarity features scholars, activists, and artists on the front lines of movements for social and economic justice. We ask the essential and often provocative questions about race, class, gender, and the role of organized labor in social justice organizations and the work of creating a radically different world, a world with solidarity, equality, and sustainability at its heart. Today's inaugural show takes up a topic that's been on everyone's mind, the ongoing tragedy of police violence against black and brown people. Today we'll look squarely at this tragedy and at the unions that represent and negotiate contracts on behalf of the police. We'll assess the dramatic growth of the movement for racial justice that has sprung up in response to George Floyd's murder. What role has organized labor played in supporting this movement? What role should it play? And what's the rightful relationship of labor to the police and their unions? Leading this discussion is Kafwi Ato, faculty member of the School of Labor and Urban Studies and New Labor Forum editor at large. Welcome, Kafwi. Uh, great to be here. Today you'll be interviewing David Unger, author of Which Side Are We On? Can Labor Support Black Lives Matter and Police Unions? A feature article in New Labor Forum's exciting fall 2020 issue. What struck you about David's article? So there was a lot of, a lot of things that um, I think jumped out. I mean, it's a, it's a delicate topic. Um, and so I think it, it takes a uh, a kind of delicate hand to to deal with it with nuance, and I think David does that. I think probably the most interesting thing to me was uh, you know it's really hard to talk about you know the relationship between police unions and the labor movement without kind of this broader uh, context, whether it's the kind of rise of the carceral state, kind of broader shifts in the the economy as well as kind of incidents and so i just i i i think it's a needed piece of piece of that and i think it 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 does that does that really well in addition to providing just kind of numbers with respect to the size of the carceral state and and its growth which is you know was was new to me it's hard it's like you see it written on the page and yeah. and you're like wow it this is um yeah, so that was really fascinating to me. Let's let's turn it over to David. David, uh, I'm so happy to be able to do this, and I thought your article was really fantastic. I greatly I, appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, you know, um, it just full disclosure. You know, I, I know you. <laughs> we uh, work at the same the same institute, and so I've kind of known that you've been interested in these questions. If anything, because, you know, in 2017, you hosted this really great uh, conference called, um, I think this was in the sp spring of 2017, Confronting the Tragedy, Police, Police Unionism, and Communities of Color. And you had all these kind of 
um, I don't know, I say big shots in the kind of police union world come and talk alongside, you know, uh, civil rights groups, not Black Lives Matter per se, but all sorts of other advocates focused on uh, police reform. So I say all this to raise, a, you know, kind of some big, broad questions, uh, kind of based on, based on that early experience, which is, you know, just kind of like, why are, you, why, why are you still talking about this? And what brought you to this kind of issue that is the relationship between police unions and the labor movement? And then secondly, you know, how has your, your thinking evolved since 2017? I mean, confronting the tragedy to which side are you on? I mean, those are very different. <laughs> they feel very, very different. So yeah, could you just maybe talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it feels like we're in a different moment. And therefore, if I had written the same paper now that I did a few years ago, it would have shown that I wasn't paying any attention uh, to what's going on in the world. So uh, I am a lifelong unionist. It's actually in some ways the word that defines and describes me that I use. Um, and from generation of unionists, the unionism I was brought up with was a social justice unionism, was a unionism that was linked to what was going on in the world. It was with my parents' unions that we would take the bus down to DC to go to the massive pro-choice rallies in in the 1980s. It was with the unions that we went to protests. And, uh, and so I grew up with a scope of unionism that was, we have a responsibility towards the world. Following the murders of Eric Gardner and Mike Brown, uh, I was in the streets night after night as a unionist. Uh, I was lying in as a unionist. I was dying in as a unionist and trying to figure out. And just then, there were some of the early talks of what's the role of police unions in this. Uh, I watched as they were starting to figure out how to confront this question of police unionism, and there was very little understanding of unionism within it. And then on the labor side, you had very little understanding of Black Lives Matter within it. And so I thought it was my responsibility and our responsibility at the CUNY School of Labor and Urban Studies to bridge those gaps. Um, and unfortunately, in bringing folks together, I don't think we got any. Uh, the only thing we clarified was just how hard of a problem it is. But it's the wrestling, it's the deep organizing, it's the conversations that have been missing. Um, we have a movement that is huge and broad and diverse in the labor movement, including ideologically so. Right. We are being confronted with the biggest civil rights moment and movement of our lifetimes, right? More people in the streets than at the height of the civil rights movement in the 60s and a multicultural movement demanding change. Um, that really is the future of the working class and is trying to define the future of our country. And if we as a labor movement can't figure out how to wrestle with that and how to have the conversations with our 14 million diverse members about that and come up with real serious decisions, then we're going to miss the moment and that could be the death of our movement. Right. So let me let me let me pause you there because yeah. maybe, maybe we should get to the the kind of central question you're asking because I think it's an important one. You know, about halfway through 
um, your piece, you have this great turn of phrase that I think, you know, I think speaks to what readers, what they would identify as kind of the central nut of, of the piece, which is the labor movement and all its racial, geographic, and ideological diversity must grapple with the questions around its dual and dueling relationship to police unions and to the growing fight for Black Lives Matter. So what do you mean by dual and dueling? Uh, to, to use an example, uh, there's two sort of that, that are the ones that jump most to mind, and that's the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, AFSCME, which is the major public sector union with a deep, long-standing history of work in the civil justice, in the civil rights sphere. It also disproportionately represents black workers because of huge historic systemic racism and inequality and pushing black workers into only government work. And there's all these, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a historian or sociologist or economist, but uh, we could talk about that and why black workers have been forced into working for the government. And so AFSCME has been really the center of uplift from an economic standpoint and job standpoint of black workers and black communities and represents tens of thousands of police and corrections officers all over the country. And many of whom, by the way, are black and brown as well because right, right. It's the only job in town in many places. So how do you deal with that conflict within your union? I'm less interested in some ways about how you deal with it outside the union, but among your own members and among your own drive to be part of the longstanding movement for racial justice and equality and the longstanding movement for economic injustice economic justice and equality. And we've got to see that policing is part of a giant racist systemic system of oppression for black and brown communities. So having those two things at tension uh, when your job depends, if you're that union, on representing all of those members, can you? Can you represent those members where seemingly they're going at completely opposite directions in terms of what society needs to happen. One of the things I really liked about your piece, which was you know, the way you, you contextualize the, this, the current crisis we find ourselves in. You know, part of that context, at least the way I read it, was kind of threefold, which is first this kind of growth of the carceral state and the kind of on the industry of arresting jailing and, and policing people, which, as you say in the piece, employs more people than auto steel, aluminum, and the rubber industries combined. Um, and not only that, it's an industry that's grown and that, you know, it absorbs uh, an increasing amount of uh, capital, like there's mm -hmm. so much invested in it. You know, it's, it, as you say, 400% over the last 40 years, which is gobsmacking. At the same time, this has happened where, you know, you have seen, you know, cuts in uh, cash welfare benefits, and obviously those are related. So the second part of the context is that this huge <laughs> industry is also 
highly unionized. It's, it's, it's even more unionized than the kind of public sector more generally. And then the last part is, given that fact, the kind of carceral unions, police unions, given their size, given the money, are just really, really, really powerful. And that is maybe at the heart of the issue. But at least it kind of left me with a question, and, and which is, you know, maybe the issue is not what does the labor movement do with police unions? Like that's, that's one way to frame it, which is I kind of your frame. But the other is, do police unions need the labor movement? Do, do they need it? And is there a way that it, it makes sense to see them as part of it? Or why would they join this kind of, you know, social justice unionism that you grew up with, <laughs> right? Well, you know, why would they engage in, uh, you know, bargaining for the, the common good? Like what's, what's in it for them? I don't think they do need the labor movement, generally speaking. And it's why 80% of, of uniformed officers are out, are, who are unionized are not part of the AFL-CIO. They have never seen themselves as, as fully in. There are moments where there are, where interests align. When collective bargaining rights for public workers are under attack, interests align. When the Janus decision was coming down the pike, interests align where uh, they are as scared, they're scared of right to work as well. Uh, so there are these sort of big general unionism things in terms of legal apparatus that that they care about. When there are attacks on pensions or underfunding of public pensions, then the interests of bus drivers and police seem to be aligned and they'll work in coalition. But generally speaking, no, they have not seen a need to be part of our movement generally. What I've said in the paper and what I've tried to communicate elsewhere also is that in some ways, I actually think that what you do about police unions is the wrong question. I think that it's a bad proxy mm -hmm. for the labor movement's interest in fighting for black lives and racial and economic justice. Uh, look, there's there's going to be confrontation. If you want to expand so the social welfare state and if you want to expand social services, that's going to mean smaller jails. That's going to mean smaller mm -hmm. departments. That's going to directly conflict with jobs of carceral workers and police officers. I think it's not just what we deal, what we do with police unions. I think it's about what we do with this movement for racial justice. As you say early on, there's a risk to action, like there's a risk to doing something, and then there's a risk to inaction. There's, what are those risks, and, and you know, how do you play this out? I think we are, at a, we are at a crossroads, and some would say the biggest risks to inaction is that, again, this movement is going to pass us by, and it will pretty much define the labor movement as not on the side of the largest civil rights movement of our time. The risks to improper action. <laughs> we have to get this right. If we get it wrong, and for instance, we allow the left wing and the right wing to circle together in functionally making the argument that public sector workers shouldn't have the right to negotiate or bargain and shouldn't have the right to union protection. They're saying it about police, from the left and now the right wing is coming in and we're seeing articles in the right wing press about yeah i don't think teachers they should take money from teachers unions either if they're not going to take money from police unions because they're 
they're admitting the corrosive power of political spending, mm -hmm. then how can they, how can Democrats keep taking money from teachers unions or from transit unions, right? So getting this wrong, just acting ahead and getting it wrong on that, that standpoint is huge risks in the sort of legal protection scheme. The other side of it is something in the neighborhood of a third of union members voted for Trump last time. If we want to be the influence we can be as the labor movement, we need the 14 million members and their families to join us in a movement for racial and economic justice. There's the last section of your article, which I found the most uh, optimistic. It was a quote from a Dallas police chief, David Brown. I don't know the context of, of the quote, but it's a great quote even without the context, which is, you know, we're asking cops to do too much in this country. Every societal failure, uh, we put it off on cops to solve. Not enough mental health funding, let the cops handle it. Schools fail, uh, let's give it to the cops. Policing was never uh, meant to solve, you know, those problems. You know, you could argue that in some ways, you know, from one kind of radical take, you could say, yeah, actually, policing was meant to deal with the externalities of a capitalist system. Mm -hmm. but, but let's not go down that route. Let's, let's just stick with the kind of the message itself and what that, how you might use something like that to forge kind of a bargaining for the collective good or, um, you know, and, and also, what, is it, what does it mean that that message is coming from a police chief and not a union rep or a union president, which I, I think is also interesting. Now, if in the practical, we wanna move the responsibilities and the money to civilian, to unarmed civilians, right. to social workers, to funding schools, to funding parks, to funding infrastructure, to making sure there are jobs, to making sure there's healthcare, that's gonna take huge amounts of money and it's going to do a few things. One is that money will have to necessarily result in smaller police departments, less money for the police. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it's going to res result in far fewer people incarcerated and therefore fewer jails and smaller jails. Right? And so if the fight ends up being police unions and carceral unions defending their budgets and their, their well, then the labor movement has to be real clear that we are on the side of moving the resources into things that build communities, not incarcerate them. And that goes against a long history of unions focusing on jobs, 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 and nothing else. Right. Uh, so that will be a dramatic shift in the way the labor movement talks about it. Now, the funny thing is, it will result in more union jobs. If AFSCME does this right, if the American Federation of State County Municipal Employees does this right, there'll be a lot more social workers for them to represent and a lot more school aides for them to represent. And they'll lose some police officers and carceral workers in their midst. Right, right. And that, that seems like, a, I mean, just to put my own, that seems yeah. like a reasonable <laughs> outcome. But, you know, getting there seems like the central, you know, question and, and problem. Like, how do we get to that, to that point? So. Yeah. And we've seen some real, uh, so the, the question of whether the, for instance, the Service Employees International Union came out with a statement that they're going to demand of their police and carceral units reforms and support for moving money and resources. Now, the proof is in the pudding of whether there'll be accountability. 
and also whether that influence is sufficient to actually help move the needle among the police and carceral unions. The new race task force of the AFL-CIO. Some are seeing that as just another delay tactic and just another committee and just another, uh, will it be a real force of person-to-person organizing, of real hard training and education and conversation and calling people in and calling them out? I wonder uh, if you might wager an answer uh, to to the question that's actually in the title of your of the piece, which is, can labor support Black Lives Matter and and police unionism? Now, that's a yes or no answer, but... I would say the answer is, in its current form, no, I don't believe the labor movement can support both Black Lives Matter as it is now and police unionism as it is now. I think that the labor movement has to put put in work to figure out what it could mean, right? That if to support Black Lives Matter, we have to have a different and smaller carceral state and the labor movement has to be behind that. To support Black Lives Matter, we have to have a different, smaller policing state and the labor movement has to find a way to be behind that. And if associations and groupings of police can get on board with that, then maybe then there's a way forward together. It's the labor movement's responsibility, and in some ways it's why I don't answer the question. It's the labor movement's responsibility to fight that fight, to have that fight on inside, to be able to fight it on the outside. This can't just be a paper yes or a paper no. It can't just be a resolution. We've got to make sure that we put in the work with our members and our communities and our unions and our affiliates and our leaders to have the fight, to have the debate and the analysis and the discussion, and to do it based on context and based on nuance and based on the realities that's there, not based on Twitter, not based. So we got to have that fight and it's got to be deep and real and, and it's going to (laughs) hurt. That answer, that's a, as good as an answer as I could think of to, to a really hard question. I, I actually just, there's a, the uh, other day I was walking in um, Poughkeepsie and I was walking on Vassar campus, it's a liberal arts school, mm-hmm. and the, I just sent this to, I took a picture of this little plaque. It's from Pericles, uh, so, you know, Greek order. <laughs> uh, the great impediment to action is, in our opinion, not discussion but the want of that knowledge which is gained by discussion preparatory to action, for we have a peculiar power of thinking before we act and of acting too. And it's like, I kind of like, oh yes, there's a so much, you know, thinking is doing, you know, there is a kind of, the discussion is important. So, so I think that answer is great. Now there's a, there's a reverse to that question, which is also just as interesting. So if I asked before, can labor support Black Lives Matter and police unions? I mean, you could also ask, can Black Lives Matter support labor and police unions too? Is it, is it, is it the same answer? Or? Uh, in its current state, it would be hard to accept, again, the amount of black work that is in the carceral state, mm-hmm. right? And so the idea that we can just flip a switch right now 
the amount of black work that is in or linked to the carceral state is tremendous because it's the way our racial economy works, right? It's racial capitalism at <laughs> and, the, and the system of mass incarceration at play. So there was actually just an article in, in I think it was Labor Notes came out about uh, we cannot forget black public employment in this moment of black lives. And black public employment, unfortunately, is often centered around a pretty regressive, repressive <laughs> carceral state. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we have to work to change this whole system and we have to do so. And, and, and I completely agree. It has to be based on debate, but it can't just remain in words and academia. It's got to be fought in our union halls, in our streets, in it, and it is being. Um, so I don't think Black Lives Matter in some ways has the recent killing in California of the, man, of the young Latino man working security. Mm -hmm. His father was a hotel workers union member, right? Yet again, sort of Richard Trumka's historic, our brother killed our sister's son in Ferguson with Mike Brown. Now this is our brother killed our brother's son in California. It happens over and over again. There's no way to disassociate labor from the reality of black work. And so we have a responsibility. And if I was Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, I am an ally of the movement, but we have a responsibility to build up the power of working people in the labor movement. Uh, it's not a coincidence that many of the Ferguson activists were also fast food workers who had recently gone on strike as part of the fight for 15. Those linkages are there because we're in a racialized system of capitalism. The linkages are there, so we can't ignore it. We've got to lean into it. We've got to fight in it um, and not run away from it. This has just been a very stimulating yeah. conversation. I have tons more questions that I would love to ask you, but I'll just ask, I'll ask you on my own. I'll yeah. send you an email, I'll give you a call, and then we'll uh, be off the record. <laughs> if they want a part two, uh, we'll, we'll do this again. I love talking to you about this stuff, so this is great. I would love to hear more of your thoughts on it. David, Kafwi, you've covered a lot of important ground. Uh, these are contradictions that activists in Black Lives Matter and organized labor are actively wrestling with. And as you've said, David, the AFL-CIO has formed a racial justice task force and notably the Black Lives Matter movement has included worker rights and increasing the minimum wage among its primary demands. Cutting edge discussions like this are had every day in classes at the School of Labor and Urban Studies where our preeminent faculty and engaged and diverse student body grapple with the most pressing issues confronting organized labor and working class communities. For more information about the school, visit slu.cuny.edu, slu.cuny.edu, and to subscribe to New Labor Forum, where David's article will appear, or to sign up for our free monthly newsletter, visit newlaborforum.cuny.edu.